0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to the Future of Work, Water Cooler Conversations, radio show and podcast, where local business leaders share how they integrate humanity and technology through innovation approaches, healthy culture, flexible workspaces, and seamless virtual technology. We are your hosts, Jennifer Burwell and Kyle McIntosh. This podcast is brought to you by Max 6, building better communities where people and businesses thrive. Uh, First, Jen, uh, good to see you.
1: Hello, good to see you as well. Um, I am so excited today to have Jen Coyne, CEO and co-founder of The Peak Fleet, and Brian Sensen, the culture engineer of the and co-founder of The Peak Fleet, to join us in this really important and timely conversation. When we were thinking about talking about how to build healthy cultures, Brian and The Peak Fleet and Jen just popped right in my head. It's somebody that we, we have to talk to to learn more because every time I am around Brian, I learn something and um, I could listen to you talk all day long because you are- so eloquent with your words. And I've heard so much about you, Jen. Um, you're not local here to Arizona, so I haven't actually, right now we're meeting for the first time, but I'm so excited to have you both. So welcome. Thank you. Um, let's start with just going all the way back. Kyle and I love to do this on the show. Tell us where you're from and then how you got to where you are today. So Jen, why don't you go first?
2: Sure. So I I kind of grew up all over the place, but I was born in Minnesota Um, My dad was in banking. People always ask if he was in the military because we ended up moving around a lot. And so I spent time in Southern California and Texas. And finally, they kind of moved back to Chicago area, so Midwest again, when I went off to college. And so, you know, I, I think that that influenced me a lot in the work that I do today because I was constantly sort of having to build my new my own team right build that team of friends and support and all of the places that i lived and knowing how you know exciting and and yet challenging that can sometimes be and so uh, moved to portland oregon which is where i'm where i reside uh about 20 gosh 24 years ago or so and it's the, definitely the longest place i've ever lived and so call that home today
1: Wow. Yeah, I bet that has had to have been a mixed blessing between, you know, as a child, having to move a bunch of places and reestablish friendships, but also probably helped inform your your perspective and understand the different parts of the country. That um,
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things that has influenced me a lot is that people from the Midwest, especially of certain cultural backgrounds that I happen to belong to, don't like to show emotion a lot. And so you have to become really perceptive about how people are feeling and sort of like read in what's going on because they're not going to always show their cards. And I think that, you know, definitely differs in different places in the country. What people care about changes a lot. And that also, you know, we, we in the business of doing work with teams that we do now, um, it's really about empathy and understanding is a huge piece of it. And so having perspective and living around the country, traveling, all those things inform your perspective taking more. So I think that it, had, it has helped me in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Brian, how about you? Where were you born? How'd you get here?
3: Well, I grew up in Washington State. Uh, <clears throat> I was born in the Seattle area, although I grew up down near Portland, Oregon, very close to where Jen lives now. What I just learned since I've known Jen for 14 years. What I just learned is I left Washington for Arizona about the time she moved there. I think I left in 1995 when I came to Arizona, I was, Uh, A little bit about my my childhood. I was raised by an entrepreneur. I thought I was going to be some kind of business tycoon. Uh, If you're old enough to remember Family Ties, I wanted to be the next uh, Michael P. Keating. And and then only six months before college, I discovered that uh, something called engineering, which I thought engineers drove trains, that uh, I loved math. And there was this pre-calculus class that I was taking. And the teacher said, if you'd like this, this is what engineers do. And he wrote the average salary of of an engineer and I said, sign me up for that. And so that, that, that one moment, the, like f- five minutes of exposure to engineering changed my complete trajectory. What the interesting thing though is, is uh, I then spent 21 years as an engineer in high tech, but my doing IT stuff, which is where I met Jen, but my passion was people and culture and teams, which you know, led to um, uh, my final job at Intel doing something very similar and then to, to, uh, to then Jen and I starting the Peak Fleet. But it was, it's been interesting that since leaving Intel and starting the Peak Fleet, I got to return to those entrepreneurial roots that I, I kind of developed, you know, 30 plus years ago.
1: So interesting how sometimes life can be full circle or multiple circles. So you spoke to it a little bit, but I'm so curious, how
2: did you two meet? <laughs> <laughs> and then how did the Peak Fleet become to be well i'll I'll take this one, Brian, if you don't mind. So, uh, we actually met first, um we got thrown into a team together back in two thousand and six when Intel had one of its sort of um, restructuring activities. And so I was put onto this team, and we were kind of going through some similar life events at the time and sort of bonded over that common experience that we were going through, and just became good friends. We ended up, uh, having similar job roles kind of throughout the years after that. And so ended up in working relationships too. And and it, especially toward the end, as, as Brian was doing the um, sort of people strategy, people engineering role in IT, the job I was having was all around employee experience and making a good employee experience for the users of technology across the company. And so we ended up working together. And then I actually left until a few months before, um, Brian did again through another Another period of restructuring. And I started doing some, just kind of some gigs, some consulting and the, we sat down one afternoon, Brian was up here with his visiting his family. And we ended up sitting down one afternoon just to kind of see where we were at and, I, I still have the text messages of us saying, like, you know. Uh, I think he said afterwards, like, I was, I was excited about the prospect of maybe doing something together before we met. And now, like, I think we should go for it, and and we did. We just, we really didn't look back after that. But the the cosmic story that I have to tell about this is we we aim to start our website. You know, because you're not a business, so you have a website anymore in these mm-hmm. days, and we aim to. Put it out. I think on uh, November first. That was our goal. And of course, you know, with tech, things always get delayed. And so, I remember, I think I was like having a glass of wine on the 18th, and I get this text from Brian, who had been working with one of our um, friends on getting our website launched. He's like, "It's live." We're, we're... so officially our start date was uh, on November 18th, and about a week later maybe give or take, I get an email from Brian and it says like, holy shit. And I was like, oh no, what happened at our website? Like die, what happened? And um, inside the email, he had been looking for something from me from, you know, two weeks ago, but ended up pulling way old emails from me to an email from 2010, October of 2010, exactly. And I had been having my mom passed away that year. I'd been having lots of vivid, weird dreams. And the email that I sent him in October of 2010 said, "Does the date 1118 mean anything to you?" And it said because I had a dream, and in it, you were either leaving Intel or changing jobs. And it turns out, then that was a premonition. So I, I classified myself, and I was a futurist. So you know. How happily
0: in the future of work.
2: <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, true story. That's
0: the new the new goal for our show is only cosmic stories. That's, that's pretty good,
2: <laughs> right? This isn't this isn't even like you know the uh, the conspiracy theory show here about the yes. uh, you know cosmic premonitions, but you know <laughs> it happened. So we we took that as a sign that we're meant to be doing what we're doing. Absolutely.
1: I'm reading um, Glennon Doyle's untamed book. I don't know if either of you. Yeah. Know.
2: Yeah.
1: And she talks a lot about the knowing and going within and knowing. Um, and also, I do, uh, um, Karen Wickey is one of my um, business professional coaches. And so she helps me with a lot of this. But it's all about like those signs and, you know, going within and trusting that that's where you're supposed to go. And, uh, it's funny because my kids watch Frozen on, on like a loop a million times, but Frozen Two. I think they talk about like the next right thing,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and to just really trust that and and dreams are such a powerful vehicle. So that's that's like a big extension because there was there was a big time gap, right? Yeah. Years was between the dream and six, six years,
2: six years, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But just trusting that intuition and and yeah, that's that's a wild story. That's really yeah, awesome. yeah. So. Tell us how you guys got in, uh, interested in working with teams. I know you guys did some of that work with at Intel, but what what sparked that interest for you guys? Um, Brian, maybe you start. Yeah, I'll
3: start. Do you, um, well, one of my analogies is is riding on the airplane. That once you've flown first class, you don't ever want to go back to coach. And it, I, I think Jen, Jen has the same experience that I do that it, at, at, over our careers, we'd worked on great teams, with great culture, with great leadership, but we'd also worked on the opposite of that. And once you've experienced amazing culture where you feel you know you feel like there's a clear sense of purpose, you have a connection to your coworkers, you feel like your manager has your back, you have clarity of success, it doesn't feel like work that you you just want you just want more of it you don't want it ever to end you want everybody to experience it and so that was that's what drove us while we were at intel of of, of we kept volunteering in fact that was one of the reasons why our paths kept crossing because we kept volunteering for side projects or task forces around organizational health leadership development i remember jen did a tour around china developing um delivering a leadership development uh, workshop that um you know, it was just a passion of ours, that, and it, but I think it's because we had experienced it. And I suspect a lot of the people who think this stuff is touchy-feely or uh, unnecessary, they've, they, maybe they've never flown first class and they don't understand uh, how much better it is. The great thing about first class culture is, is it's not three times as expensive as regular culture. It's it's actually just the same price. You just have to do, kind of have to do the basics. Mm-hmm.
1: That's so true. That's so interesting because I, I was... Leading a session just before this about team health. And I said something very similar of we all want these complicated solutions because what you, when you're on a high-performing team, like it, it really is, feels amazing. And so you want that feeling, but we all think that like to get that, there has to be some very complicated equation. Or, and really it's just going back to the basics and doing the things that are not always, you know, sometimes they're monotonous, sometimes they're boring. Sometimes you're like, I don't know if this really makes a difference, but it's that consistent, dedicated effort over time that really gets you where you want to go. So, so it's validating to hear to hear you guys uh, have that same experience. So, sorry, Kyle, I feel like I haven't let you even ask one question or get worded. <laughs> <laughs> feel free to jump in whenever whenever you want to. But if we're talking about teams and culture, Well, I have two questions that jump to mind. One is for you, Jen, when you are going to like China and doing leadership courses, how, like, is there differences with different cultures or how do you, or is it like the same components no matter who we are anywhere in the world or how, is there anything to consider there? Mm -hmm. And then also we talked about it briefly, but just let's dive in a little bit deeper. What are the keys to creating this healthy um, team and culture
2: that we're talking about. So. Generally. Yeah. Yeah. As far as cultural differences, a- absolutely. There are, I mean, some cultures tend to operate more hierarchically. So they're looking for, you know, the, 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 the designated leader to sort of role model and set the tone for the team. Um, other places are more democratized and more flat um you know and people are looking for uh, you know who who's got the most influence the most insight those kinds of things and so i think you have to tailor it but you know it it's less different than you would think uh, the funny story i have about that is that we would do this 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 particular t- um training we would do, we would have kind of a fun theme that would go along with it. You know, maybe it was like Vegas and or Hawaii or you know tropical, like we would have these different themes. And I said to the teams over there one time, what do you want to do? And and it was going to be in December. And they said, we want to do Christmas. And like for whatever reason, my preconceived bias was that like, why would that be something that they would want to celebrate, let alone have as a theme for the training, right? Mm -hmm. And and so you know fundamentally places are we're more alike than we are different we all kind of want the same things out of our lives and i think we'll come back to this later when we talk about our drive toward unity but you know people tend to have similar values and things that they want and so um we found with especially with some of our values work that all that's gone all around the world now that these things resonate, you know, even in our English language interpretation of it, people said, yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty spot on. so yeah, we roll with it.
1: I think that's such an important part point to remember for all of us is that there is more that unites us than divides us, and that on a human level, we all want very similar, similar things. Yeah. So Brian, tell us a little bit about like so if I'm a leader, and I hear about, you know, having a healthy culture and high-performing teams. And I want I want that, but I don't exactly know what to do. What are the keys to creating that? What, what does a leader need to do to help set that
3: in motion? Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, well, there is one framework that what actually brought us together almost three years ago. You were doing <laughs> a series of workshops around the five dysfunctions of a team by Patrick Lencioni. Uh, so there's a great framework there, although the bottom of his, the start of his framework is trust. I think that there, there's a layer before that, it's purpose. I, I don't think you should do anything without clarity of, of purpose, What you shouldn't have a team, you shouldn't have a, a company, you shouldn't do a, uh, a podcast, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't do anything without purpose. So start with why um, and having that clarity. The uh, but then but then the model that we you know that did bring us together. There's what Jen just talked about. While there are nuances that are different by culture, uh, there's a lot of things that are that are absolutely universal. So it's universal meaning, um, you know, ha- having clarity of purpose, uh, having that, that sense of human connection that we talked about uh, earlier. You know, we are humans and we are wired for connection. But then on teams, having taking the time to invest in, in trust, which usually requires us to be vulnerable with each other. Uh, so that we have enough trust that we can engage in healthy conflict. And I think that's probably, from my experience, the number one reason I see uh, um, a lack of cohesion or a lack of a high-performing team is that they're not engaging in healthy conflict. They're guilty of what uh, is called artificial harmony, that they're not really saying what they think. Uh, And that doesn't do anybody any good. A lot of times it's well-intended. I don't want to hurt any feelings. I don't want to rock the boat. But by not saying anything, you're actually making it worse. And so, for, but from a leader's perspective of making sure clarity of purpose, you know, there's a lot, we can talk, we could probably spend the rest of the time talking about the, the value of values, mm-hmm. um, but also having a sense of where we're going, you know, whether it's, whether it's a fancy vision statement or just some clarity about uh, the destination or the next step. Mm-hmm. So, so if, I have, if I have a leader who understands me, which is another really important part about trust and connection, is if I feel like my manager gets me, uh, and I have a sense of purpose, and I have connection, uh, and we are investing in trust on the team, so that we can engage in healthy conflict. I'd, usually, the rest of that framework that we've talked about, usually that falls into place. All the other pieces. So, starting with the foundational pieces of, of purpose, values, vision, trust, healthy conflict.
0: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, from there, then then it's a, it's about fine tuning or maybe diagnosing a specific uh, problem uh, that we need to address.
0: Yeah.
1: I have my notebook. I'm just taking a bunch of notes. I completely agree. And I think what you were talking about, about vulnerabilities is such a key component because if you have a leader who isn't willing to go there, the trust process, I don't know that you can really fully have trust. And yet I think it's getting a lot less. And I guess I should ask you guys, if you agree that, you know, vulnerability and trust and all that, for a long time, it was, oh, that's not, there's no place for that in the workplace and that's touchy-feely stuff. And
2: Fake it till you make it, right? That was yeah. always the-, <laughs>
1: the saying. Exactly. And I see that, that the tide is changing. Um, but are you guys seeing the same thing? Are you still seeing some holdouts?
3: Are you, are you asking if vulnerability is the new sexy? Yeah,
1: I am actually.
3: I think to an extent. I think there's probably a little bit of confirmation bias from our perspective because we've, you know, we've been embracing it and encouraging it for years. But I, um, I am definitely seeing more of it. What about about you, Jen?
2: Absolutely. I mean, and I, it's it's the willingness also of the leader to get more vulnerable. I think that that's where um, you know. The, I think that people on teams have, have been hungry for it, but the the actual leader being willing to say, I don't have all of the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, but hey, here's like what what we should do about it about learning more. here's here's you know what do you think on the team? What do you think is the right answer and and, and really asking for input, right? Those kinds of things break down a lot of the barriers.
1: Yeah. So in March, when pandemic first came um, and everybody was panicked, I jumped on a call um, a call that Patrick Lencioni was leading. So five dysfunctions of the team and everybody... I mean, there were Fortune 500 companies, there were small businesses, there was everybody. Um, and everyone was like, what do we do? And his advice was to leaders, even leaders of publicly traded big companies, was to be vulnerable and show your staff that you don't have all the answers. You're not sure what's going on. And to take time in their meetings, there were Fortune 500 companies who were taking one in two days in the midst of this pandemic to have team retreats to focus on, on trust and also to answer the question, how are you really? Mm-hmm. And having CEOs help process, help their teams process all the information and then also check in with all the personal things. You know, When going to the store is no longer a 20-minute excursion and finding paper, um, toilet paper is a four-day process. So it was just really um, interesting to see that that's what the big companies were doing and Mm -hmm. and the leaders that Patrick Luncioni admired. And then he did a follow-up call probably like two months ago. And those companies that were able to do that, they were able to be more innovative and solution-oriented and pivot quicker because of that that culture. So um, I think it was just fascinating.
2: Yeah, I think that... um... You know, I try to find silver linings in a lot of situations. And I think that there are many in the COVID experience that we're all going through is that, you know, it's a level, level, leveling the playing field. Everybody's got their dog and their kids and whatever, you know, in the background of them. And, and it's it's showing the humanity, it's showing the, you know, common experience and it's it's kind of allowing a window open into people's lives that I think a lot of people held back on. To not go off on too much of a tangent, but I think it relates to some of the other things we wanted to talk about is, you know, people tend to wear masks at work. They, I I do a show all about authenticity, right? And it's hard for people to be authentic about, I think Harvard Business Review found that like, of people feel like they can't bring their authentic selves to work every day. And when we do values exercises, people will often ask us, Is this me at work or is this me at home? Right. And and so that just shows that some, you know, you kind of feel like you're putting on your, your clothes for work and you're putting on this mask that says, You know, who am I supposed to be today? And COVID has sort of allowed a window into how people really are. And allows for different conversations about capacity and things like that to happen, with more empathy and understanding, I think, than we've ever had before.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that. As uh, I don't think a lot of people, or I think it's new to a lot of people, that they would explore what their individual values are. It's this discussion that goes into what are our collective values, what Mm -hmm. is our collective purpose at work, but. It's rather new to think sometimes, What is my, what are my values? What is my purpose here on earth? And how am I fulfilling that? And then how does that align to the company's vision mm-hmm. or not? How do you facilitate that discussion and introduce that to people so that they start to think in that way and they're, they're coming to work as a whole person as opposed to this, uh, I'm a silo at home and at work?
2: Brian, do you want to take that one to start?
0: I how will. We do I do, but I want to
3: touch on something that Jen asked, uh, and then she triggered some additional ideas back to that what advice for a first-time manager or a new manager. The, it, it was this, this discussion about moving into the old normal to the new normal, the pandemic. One thing for leaders is that it, it's very clear in our minds uh, what needs to happen, what the message is. And so we say it once and we think it's clear uh, what I have learned is that as a leader, you usually have to say things seven times, seven ways before everybody hears actually hears it and processes it, which seems is a little bit frustrating for leaders. I think during the pandemic, it's been two x that, and so just remembering you um, you know you have to keep communicating over and over different different channels. The other thing for a uh, for new manager, which will bring us back to the question, is is remembering to check in. And sometimes the, there's this fallacy of a manager that I'm either supposed to manage and supervise or I have my other work to do. And really your your purpose as a, as a leader is to make sure you're checking in with your employees, make sure they have a sense of purpose, make, making sure that there's a, a sense of connection and a, and a clarity of, of what success looks like, whether it's you know a year from now or a day from now. But also... Checking in and making sure that you're you're seeking to understand that every employee, every team member, feels understood and understood at that, that authentic self. So, so the question we um, you know we do work with clients both uh, values at the organizational level and the, per- the personal level, and we we encourage starting at the personal level. And so, the the tool that we use to help people discover their core values is a deck of cards. There are multiple ways. Uh, of doing it. There's, there are other decks of cards, but we, um, you know, we, we like the tactile nature of going through a card sort and, and spoiler alert, there are no bad values in the deck. So it's a matter of, of really being introspective and thinking about what's most important to me. Um, because if you think everything is important, then nothing's important. And so making some hard choices about all of these good values, but then, what are the ones that are really most important to me? What are my non-negotiables? What can I not live without? Uh, and that's that's where the magic happens of getting to that clarity of these, you know, six, five, four, three uh, values that are really, really important, non-negotiable. What we believe when you get to that that final number of of we like to finish with six, we think those six values do represent your authentic self. And when you feel comfortable bringing that into the workplace, and not just tolerated, but truly accepted for all of those values and for, for what they mean to you, that's when the magic happens. You are more productive. You are more creative. There is There are higher levels of innovation. There's lower levels of defects and, and, and lower rates of uh, absenteeism and, and health issues, etc.
0: So let's let's stay on that topic for a second of good values and bad values. And we said, you said there's no bad values. And I agree with you because there's just different values. That people oh, there, oh, there are some bad values. There's no bad values in our deck. <laughs> there's no bad values in your deck. There's No lying,
3: uh, cheating, being a bully uh, in our deck.
0: Okay, all right. I've noticed another thing happening. Uh, I think the four of us have probably seen uh, this this, uh, happening in business for sure. And just, you know, all over the place is that, uh, there are misalignments of values. And even within your deck of all good values, uh, if you, uh, go into it as these are my values, and if you're different then you're wrong, then it can seem like there are good values and bad values. And so, uh, that's not necessarily the case. It's just different values, we're different people, even though the, the purpose might be aligned. Uh, we're here uh, to experience humanity together, uh, to fulfill the purpose of a business, to whatever that is. How do you, how do you deal with that, that sort of, if I really believe that my values are the right values versus just the right values for me, where it might feel like I'm misaligned with someone else, I suspect both Jen and I want to answer this. I'll
3: jump in first and then I'll let Jen answer. So I'll, I'll tell you my thought and then I'll tell you a personal story. I I believe that most, maybe even all conflict isn't about the person or the issue. It's that we have different values, but we don't know any better. Uh, and, and so there may be a conflict of values where something that's really important to you is not important to me or vice versa. Or we may both have highly uh, important values pers- at a personal level, and there's some tension between them. Actually, I actually have two personal stories, and then I'm going to hand it over to Jen. 14 years ago, when I first did this exercise, maybe it was longer, there, there was, uh, it was a group of, of similar um, managers at Intel and in the IT group. And there was there's one guy in particular I didn't get along with, and I got along with almost everybody. We did this exercise, and his number one value was something that I discarded at the very beginning, as not important to me. And I thought in that moment, I get you now. I understand. I understand why we've had conflict. And I never had a problem working with him ever again. But that's an example of where something was re- number one to him was not important to me. And that caused a conflict. Uh, Jen and I, uh, one of my values is independence. One of Jen's core values is collaboration. So they're both good. They're both important to us, but it creates a little bit of tension. There's times when I want to kind of do my own thing and it feels, it might feel to Jen that I don't, that I'm not being collaborative, which is really important to her. And there's sometimes when she wants to collaborate that I want to be, I want to do my own thing. It feels like she's trying to tread on my independence. So the fact that we have transparency, I know her values, She knows mine. I know the value of the guy 15 years ago. So having, you don't have to agree with them. You don't have to change your values. But if you create transparency, you can at least have a conversation about the difference and and find some kind of common ground. Jen?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that I'll mention is that, you know, we talked about organizational values, right? You develop organizational values, and we then encourage people to develop behavioral expectations based on those values. Because ultimately, you can have a value, but if it doesn't translate into, what you do, then it doesn't really, it's not real. And so, you know, let's, let's take the example of like tradition and change. Those are two values that we have in our card deck, Um, seemingly opposite things. Um, If you have a company that values innovation a lot, you know, someone with an affinity for change and transformation might have an easier path to sort of seeing themselves aligned with that organization if you're if you are tradition oriented, maybe you still can align to that goal of innovation that value of innovation but it's a different path right maybe it is about reflecting on the things that have made you really successful in the past or embracing those types of techniques or innovations that have have really done well for you and so you really can, come together with and see eye to eye about things, but understanding why, you know, someone with tradition is going to have more resistance maybe to quickly changing things all the time. That creates an understanding that then, you know, you can choose to work together to embrace everybody's perspective in that.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Do you, this question just popped in my head as you guys were talking Do you think values are nature or nurture? How does one develop values? Where do they come from?
2: I think it's it's my answer and Brian can answer. He, because we don't always agree. Um, I think that it is a combination of both. I think that you are predisposed, um, you know, in your DNA, maybe to be more of a, uh, adrenaline junkie or something like that. So adventure is part of your value set, things like that. I would say that the balance of it though, probably a, a, a more than 50% is sort of that nurture, those experiences that you have, the, the culture you grew up in that shapes um, the values that you develop and how you kind of define them. I think that's one of the reasons why the behavioral exercise is so important because two people could pick Um, security, for example, but have very different thoughts on how you get there. And I think when you look at a lot of the divisiveness we see like nationwide across the U.S. right now, I think that a lot of the values are similar in what people are going after, but people just have different thoughts about the way to get there and that we need to have better understanding about the paths that that we we take. Brian, what do you think?
3: Nature or nurture? My answer is the same. Yes, both. (laughs) Um, Both, but also another question that comes up almost every single time that we do a values exercise is do they change? Uh, Mm -hmm. And and in general, your values are fairly static, but they do change. They do change. So this is to the the nature. Over the course of your life, as you have major life events, uh, they will absolutely shift and change your values Starting your career, changing your career, getting married, having kids changes uh, your values. Getting divorced, experiencing death, going through a pandemic uh, probably affects your values a little bit around safety, security. Um, you know, maybe even it might test if you have values around you know community and collaboration. There's some things that have absolutely you know tested those values in the last year. But I so I think it's um, again. You're, there's, like Jen said, we're probably born and predisposed for some things, but then our experiences do shape them over our
0: lifetime. Yeah. I read, I read an interesting article earlier in the pandemic about how it's almost forced us to contemplate that we're only here for a finite time. And what are our real values? Because you're exactly right. They're being tested in various ways. And so, and to Jen, to your what you were just saying too, we're we're being almost forced to talk about these values outwardly in different ways now, and so uh, it's causing conversations that we wouldn't have had before. Where, in many ways, we're probably having these conversations so we can get closer together. But in some ways, it seems like you're, you're, there's a national conversation going on right now about values where it seems like there can be a lot of uh, friction and. and Misalignment. How do we get to a place where we can have that discussion more openly, instead of just making assumptions about people or, or uh, uh, assuming that people's values are bad values because they're different from ours?
2: So, so this is the place where I'll plug that. Um, when when we created the Peak Fleet, partially we were just looking for a name, but we also thought it was really important that we establish our values from you know day one. And we came up with persistence, empathy, authenticity, and kindness being four of, I think there was like 10. And we finally narrowed it down and said, no, these are the four and they became our namesake. And I'll come back to that, which says, I think, I think having a facilitated conversation is helpful, right? Understanding how you get to healthy conflict is really helpful, But it does come back to being persistent and using empathy and authenticity and starting with kindness, right? We always say like kindness is like cheap or free, right? If you assume good intent out of the gate and really seek to understand, seek to get that perspective taking, I think that people start in their place of bias and all of their experiences. And it's really hard to see something from a person's perspective where, you know, they live in a different part of the country, they're from a different socioeconomic background, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many elements that go into that. And it takes patience and some skill to sort of facilitate that conversation to where it doesn't go off the rails. And I think social media is the example that people talk about so much where um, the rhetoric and, you know, people get into battles with people that they thought they knew, people that they thought that they were friends with because they are having trouble perspective taking and kind of getting into that empathetic standpoint while remaining authentic, right? I think telling it like it is from your perspective, that's your authentic truth is fine. But without being checked by empathy and perspective taking, I think it becomes problematic.
3: I'll add on one thing, Kyle, that the, there's some, you know, there is so much division. There's so many things to argue about. People want to argue right or wrong. Uh, and I think, I think values help us have a conversation or um, a different conversation that there's, you know, instead of talking about a, a political platform or a position, talk about values. You know, there's, there isn't, there isn't a right or wrong. There may, there may be some good and bad, like we talked about, but, but there isn't a right or wrong. And so having, a, you know, we, we think that there's this transcendence above, above, you know, about politics, religion. Yeah. Uh, religion, other, other kind of geo-cultural, ethnic, you know, differences. We think values transcend all of that because it's, it's not, it's, it isn't a right or wrong. It's about what's, you know, what's inside of, of me and if we, can, if we can expose that and put it out there and be transparent, we can have conversations that, uh, that could unite us. Like what, you know, what we saw last week at the Capitol, there was, there was some, some folks on one end of the spectrum, and then there's some folks on the other end of the spectrum you know, who were looking on, horrified. I suspect if we set them all down and did a values exercise, we, we probably could find some common values that we could you know, create a, a, a path of unity around.
1: But it's interesting because I think about like this moment that we're in, um, and there's compounding things that are happening, right? The pandemic, some of the racial injustice protests that we had over the summer. Um, there's just a variety of of things, and so I think collectively as a nation, we're in this fight, flight, freeze state, and we're in a heightened state. And then if there's things that we hold so valuable or true to us and we feel like they're under attack and everyone is experiencing that. I just, it's like, you can't have a rational conversation when we're in that, that space. So I go between myself included, like there's a side that's very wrong to me. That's like, this is black or white. But then when I go back to this empathy and think about like, how do we find some commonality? Because there are people like that experience that you said, Jen, there are people who are my friends colleagues, people my kids go to school with that I think on a human level are good people. And then I see what they post on social media. And it's like this mind twist of like, this is the opposite of my values, but I also, and I know you are a good person because I know you in real life. So I guess my question is, how do we cool the temperature enough? How do we get out of that fight, fight, or freeze so that we can have a conversation and social media might not be the right platform. But it's the right platform to have these conversations.
2: I mean, you know, creating community is certainly a great place to start. Uh, I know that after the um, events last summer around racial justice, you know, I joined a couple of groups where we began talking about these things, you know, creating safe spaces. I think, you know, scientifically, like all the research shows that when people are in a scarcity mindset, like you mentioned, you get into this place where having a long-term discourse, having, you know, things that that aren't about your immediate problems, is very difficult. I mean, people are stressed about a lot of things, right? Um, their businesses are going out of business and jobs are lost or furloughed, all of these kinds of things. So, I think one tip I think for everybody right now is really centering and taking care of yourself first and being really present, understanding, you know, are you actually at risk at, at yourself right now? Because we get into a fight or flight as if we're being chased by a tiger. The reality is, we're not but that tiger might be like not being able to pay rent, right? So what are those things that you need to focus on right now? Be present and tackle those issues with a, an an eye toward how can, how can I help, right? How can I help and what help do I need in asking for help? And I think that if people did that more, ask what do you need from other people instead of just... Being so quick to say, this is what I my perspective. This is what I need. Maybe we'll get more balance out of it, right? But it, Just say, like, how can I help? Right.
1: Yeah. Um, the
2: other thing that's helped
1: me personally when I, I I really enjoy debating, and I enjoy conversation and exchange of ideas. And sometimes that doesn't go very well because the other person that I think we're having just a spirited debate about, I'm not. We're not debating. They're we're arguing. But, anyways, it's just if I every time I remain curious instead of convicted, so much better. And Mm -hmm. I learn more because in both states, I am still like, I really am wanting to hear their perspective, but the convicted part like shuts people down. The curious side opens people up. And so I have to remind myself that I don't know the answer. And just because it's true for me doesn't make it true for someone else. So
2: Yeah, definitely. When we talk about empathy, you know, we talk about listening, you know, uh, kind of use your eyes, your ears, right. And your feet, right. Go, go try to experience the things that other people are experiencing, listen to their stories and, and give them credence. Like when someone tells you something, believe it. Right. I think, you know, there's, there is a let's set aside like actual false information that's being put out there. But when you're talking about someone's human experience, you have to respect that that's how they feel about that experience. Give them that safe space to talk about it. And then, you know, just ask clarifying questions until you really feel you can understand what they're going through. So that's a curiosity piece.
3: It's a good ad. I was going to jump in with uh, two things that are interrelated. One is <clears> that you know the power of empathy. The, the, unfortunately, you can't make others be empathetic. So it's it's on you to 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 demonstrate and practice and role model empathy. Uh, but uh, with that, uh, another great book, another great framework, the Four Agreements. Um, agreement number two is to never take anything personally. That, that anytime anybody says or does something to you is about them and not you. So you, remembering remembering that, uh, you know, and practicing agreement number two makes it a little bit easier to do the seek to understand, to take the other's perspective or like, well, why did they march on the Capitol? You know, are they bad people? Well, maybe, but, but they, I think I do. My empathy says that they, they feel like something about their freedom, which is really important has been violated or was at, at risk. You know, i I don't agree with their approach, you know, in response, but I but I sense that for a lot of those people that there is a value that's important that I might even share um, that they felt was threatened. But you know, again, what you do with that is that's a different conversation. So again, empathy and then just remembering that it's it's not about you, it's about them.
0: Mm-hmm. You how do you uh what do we do about this? The four of us are on to something, I think. And, and uh, <clears throat> taking a pause to understand where someone is coming from and empathy and not just jumping up. What did you say, Jen? Uh, curiosity, not conviction. conviction. Uh, yeah, that's good. And, and uh, community and, and all these things. And I think it, it dawned on me the other day, uh, let's take two moments in time of what was happening in this country and the differences between how our country reacted to 9-11 and the differences, uh, the juxtaposition to what just happened at the Capitol and people coming together versus people being driven apart. How do we, without another act like that of 9-11, have people take a pause and reflect really on where are these other people coming from. I mean, what do the four of us can continue this conversation, and anybody that's listening to this show, I you know, we would, I'm sure, encourage to take that pause, understand where others are coming from, but what? How do we as a country begin to have that conversation become more uh, unified as we we really are much more closely than we're expressing it or it's being shown? Um, what do we What do we do here?
2: We have, we have this moonshot idea of, of what we think we would like to see. I think you brought up 9-11, which is a great juxtaposition, right? I think that we as a company, and this translates into business, right? We're here talking about business as well. We often saw it, Intel. we saw this too, that you, you do really well when there's a common quote-unquote enemy, Right. And there was this external force sense with 9 11 that we had, like, we could all unite against this external enemy. I think now with COVID, number one, it's an invisible enemy, it's caused challenges. And then with this internal conflict we're having within our country, that it's a much harder thing to tackle. And we have to. I look at it the same way I approach like my interpersonal relationships. Hey, we're on the same team, you guys. We're all supposed to be on the same team, and so our one of our moonshots is it's got to start with leadership. What kind of leader? What kind of team building does the Senate do? I want to do a values exercise on the floor of the Senate. All a hundred people, you know, coming together. At, talking about their values with each other. This transcends political party, transcends religion, transcends where you come from, you know, geography-wise. So that's, you know, Peak Fleet wants to do that. That's what we want to do because we feel like if the, obviously our leaders have influence over people's actions. We're seeing that for sure. If we can role model that this kind of conversation is important and that we're on the same team, we're trying to get to unity and unifying lots of different perspectives toward prosperity and health and, and humanity within our country, that's where we want to go.
0: I love
3: that idea. And to, to, to kind of springboard off that, what if the you know, we talk about the, you know, the future of work and, and mega trends. We're seeing the younger generation, not wanting to identify as a, anything, not wanting to identify with the political party with, uh, with all sorts of aspects of their lives. Um, but I, but I do think they identify with purpose and values. So what if the next generation of politician didn't run on a, on a party platform? What if they ran on their values? But you know, what, if, uh, so just think about the, the kind of the revolution that could happen in a positive way. If, if people were saying, instead of this policy, instead of this, you know, this party position, we're, we're going to, we're going to run on peak values. We're going to, I'm all about persistence, empathy, authenticity, and kindness. And if you like that vote for me, if not, you know, vote for the other values. Mm-hmm. Think this, about what could happen.
1: This is a funny story and not exactly appropriate, but I think it does a good representation of what we're looking for, what we're talking about in, in a different way. But so there's a representative in the Arizona State uh legislature on his Twitter account. He likes young, legal, but young women. And he 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 also has like retweeted like some adult content and all this stuff. And someone found it and um, you know, was calling him out about it and saying like, this should not be part of our legislature. And what what's your response to this? This is a big scandal. And I appreciated his response. I don't agree with his actions or his, his values necessarily, but his response was, I am an unmarried man who has an attraction to women. And I like, nothing I've done is illegal. And I, what would you like me to do? Do you want me to lie about who I am and what I value? Or would you like me to be honest about it and show you who I am? The my district voted for me, represented, and if there are people who are concerned, talk to me. So it was refreshing in a weird way (laughs) that a politician was able to at least be authentic to him. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: I would like to see it in a little bit more of a positive light, (laughs)
2: but but I mean I think I think, you know, it is. It's I, I think. To, to, go on this a little bit further, right. There's a lot of talk about like this being against the first amendment and all this kind of stuff. It's like, people have free speech. People also have the freedom to disagree. And there's, there's also consequences that they could face from, from that. Absolutely. I would rather see uh, I, my, my radio show is all about authenticity, right? It, I want to see people be their authentic selves and then let people choose right? And if people say, I'm going to vote with my feet away from you, <laughs> right? And, and and vote with my money away from your organization or what have you, like, then you have to decide what is more important to you. Is it to stay with whatever behavior you're participating in or to change to align? And I don't think that that's like brainwashing. I think that's just Sometimes there's a collective voice that says we have to be better, and this is how we think we should be better.
0: (laughs) That takes bravery. Absolutely. To to sit there and say, you're different from me, and that's okay. And if you vote with your dollars to go somewhere else, that's a good thing. Because we have figured out that we have different values, and it's just not a fit. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Uh, that takes real bravery that I'd like to see more of. Is it's a good thing whether we're aligned or disaligned, but we've figured that out openly.
2: Right. And I think coming back to like from an organizational standpoint, whether you're talking about the organization of the Senate or you're talking about your own company and their values, is that there are values that you define as an organization of what's acceptable and what's not. You know, Brian will talk a lot about the price of admission or kind of table stakes values. And and so you have to put those out there and then you have to be honest with yourself about what you value and do, do they align? And if your values aren't served by the organization you're with or vice versa, you know, if you can't serve that organization um, with the values that you have, then it probably is time to move on to something else. You know, and I've, I have found that myself over time where my values didn't align with the organization anymore. And it was time to go choose a different path. And I think that's a huge act of bravery as well, because, you know, we're talking about people's livelihoods and, you know, their, their power and things like that. And, you know, it's hard to just say, I'm walking away from this, but we're, we are seeing some of that happen.
1: So, so we only have five minutes left, but. Senator Senator Cinema or Kelly, if you're listening, that could be a first step. (laughs) Reach out, (laughs) connect with the peak fleet. But we do have some questions that we always ask every guest. I I feel like we could talk for hours and hours and hours about this. Um, But unfortunately, we're running out of time. So um, let's see. Kyle, do you want to start with your question that you always ask? Sure.
0: I'll I'll preface it as I always do with, this question has nothing to do with anything necessarily, but it's a curiosity question that we're collecting answers to from our guests. What is your favorite book of all time?
2: Mm. That's a hard one, Brian. You, you, he mentioned one of them, which was the Four Agreements. I know that was one of his.
3: Four agreements is good. Uh, the Five Dysfunctions. I say the the. Um, I'm gonna have to go with the one that was the most impactful on on my entire life, and it was uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Mm.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah, all of those are good. I think there was one um, that it, it's just a little bit different, maybe isn't like my favorite of all time, but it's called Creative People Must Be Stopped. And it really talked, you know, tongue in cheek, right? But it just talks about the different ways that our innovation and our creativity gets stifled, starting with ourselves all the way through to our society and how you can break through that. And that gave me some bravery to do things my way.
1: Very cool. Good. I love this book list we're building. (laughs) Um, All right. So for my question, what is one thing that you've learned um, through the pandemic, either personally, professionally, whatever that you, um, it's a life lesson you're going to carry forward with you?
2: Do you want me to go, Brian? I, I have, so Brian and I had a conversation last month and it was kind of, I felt like it was a breakthrough thing. We were having a little bit of tension, as you do, it really came down to the vulnerability of us being willing to say that we were pushing ourselves too hard and we needed to take some time. We're both ambitious, high-achieving type people. And we also, you know, our business was at risk, right? We've had to totally pivot during this pandemic. And so we were just going harder than we had had, had been even before. And the big lesson for us is like, we have to make it through. And the only way we're going to make it through is to take care of ourselves. It's a good one.
1: A
3: hard one. Let it go. Yeah. The, I'm surprised we've got an hour and we haven't talked about Brene Brown. Ooh. Her podcasts, plural this year have been really insightful. And the, one of her first ones around FFT, I think first times mm-hmm. and needing to normalize it, put it in perspective and reality check expectations. I've got a post-it note I've got uh, right here, but recently at, after an interview with David Eagleman, the the expert from Stanford on neuroplasticity, so this is related to what Jen was talking about. Of uh, she added a couple of strategies around um, basically brain fatigue, and and that was a breakthrough for me. That you know I, I I felt like I'd kind of gotten my hands around dealing with these these effing first times, and you know making sure you have realistic expectations, but then. I was just really struggling with with fatigue, and and it wasn't physical fatigue. It was it was something else. And so, learning that your brain does get tired, that you're, you need to give it some rest. Um, you know, it may not get sore like your your muscles do, but it does get tired. And needing to let it rest and give yourself some grace was was something very powerful. Yeah.
1: Did you listen to day two?
3: Yes, day two. <laughs> yeah.
1: That. Yeah. All of those really relate, but day two is very similar about, you know, just the, once you get past the newness and the adrenaline wears off, the you know, trudging through is exhausting. And we have been through an exhaustive year, exhausting year, um, 2021, but when it was the seventh, I all the, all over the internet was like, I had my seven day trial and I <laughs> would like to politely decline. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, but a few things before we let like guys go. Where can people get your beautiful values cards if they would like to purchase them?
3: I I think you, uh, so www.thepeakfleet.com and you, but you can also find us on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and there's links back to the website. There's not only the physical deck. We have a a booklet around the first of many booklets. This one's around family conversations using the values uh, we have uh, our next intended booklet is around career conversations using values. And then because we can't really do a lot of things in, per- in person anymore um, for groups and teams and for our workshops, but also for people like yourself who are facilitators, there's now a web-based version of the exercise using the exact same images from the card deck that's available on our website. That's
1: really cool. I didn't realize that last part. That's awesome. Great. Great.
0: It's a fascinating conversation, and we could continue it forever. We'll have to continue this, uh, whether it's on the show or not. And uh, uh, maybe if we keep doing it today, my brain actually will hurt like my muscles. But uh, <laughs> uh, thank you both, uh, Jennifer Coyne and Brian Stinson, uh, for being on the show. It's it's been a uh, fascinating and I think enlightening conversation. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Future of Work, Water Cooler Conversations, radio show and podcast with your hosts, Jennifer Burwell and Kyle McIntosh. We are off to continue building better communities where people and businesses thrive and shining a light on local business leaders who are defining what a healthy and productive workspace looks like in Arizona and beyond. To be a part of the conversation, join us for a tour of the MAC6 Entrepreneurial Center in Tempe, Arizona, or visit maxsix.com.